For those of you who have been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been working our way through the letter to the Colossians. And now we've come to the end of this, and in fact, we're at a point where most people have already quit, uh, because what we basically have here at the end is a list of names. This morning, I've heard a lot of new names, especially the college students coming in, but other visitors that we have, and I'm and I work at trying to keep those names in order. Well, now we're going to hear a bunch more names, but these are important names, and we're going to draw just a very quick and simple lesson from this, but I think a lesson that's very profound and one that we need to keep in our hearts and minds. So let's be standing, please, as we hear this final words from Paul to the church in Colossae. Begins with Tychicus. I say Tychicus. I think if he introduced himself to you, he would say Tychicus, but uh, Tychicus just sounds better to our ears, doesn't it? Tychicus will tell you all the news about me, Paul writes. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus. Ooh. That's important. Our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort for me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, And Demas, send greetings, and give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church and her house. And after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. And grace be with you. May God bless the reading of his word. I told the first uh, worship service today that I I can't remember enjoying preparing a sermon any more than this one. Uh, I don't know if you will enjoy hearing it, but I had fun just uh, thinking about this. In fact, I've been sort of thinking about it for weeks Because when I'm preaching through a book, I normally every week read through that whole book so that I can sort of keep things in context and know where they fit. And every time I got to this end and and read this list of names, it just was meaningful to me. And because it occurred to me, I think for the first time, and, and I'm not the first person I know that this has occurred to, but it's my first time, okay? The the first time I thought about the idea that Paul had a lot of friends. You know, I tend to visualize Paul as kind of a loner. 
just sort of striding down the road, going to the next town and walking into that city and, and going to the marketplace or to the synagogue and beginning to preach the gospel. And yeah, perhaps he might have Barnabas with him at times or might have Silas with him at times or, or maybe Timothy. I, I just, when I think of Paul, I just sort of see this lone figure blazing a trail of the gospel throughout the world. And yet, when you come to the end of the book of Colossians, this letter that he wrote to this church, he starts ticking off names of people, people that are with him, people that he knows that are in Colossae. There's 10 of them here in this list. And then it occurred to me, this isn't the only book he does this. I thought of Romans, and I turned over to Romans and just did a quick count. I counted about 30 names at the end of the book of Romans, that he says, say hello to so-and-so, so-and-so says hello to you. And then he'll even say, and tell hello, say hello to all their family. So Paul had a whole lot of friends, and his friends obviously were very, very important to him. It occurred to me that if we could somehow break into Paul's Facebook page, You know, if we could just get in and look at his page in Facebook, he would have probably a list of friends that would put all of ours to shame. I hear people comparing how many friends they have, you know. Well, I have 2,406. Well, I don't know. Paul's list would probably put our list to shame because of how many people that were dear to him. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could at least get in there and look? So I did some archaeological research. And surprisingly enough, came up with Paul's screen name and his password. So we're going to get to break in and look at his friends list, particularly we want to look today at his friends who are online at this present time as he is finishing up this letter to the Colossians. These are the people that he's communicating with. So let's take a view, you know, just a quick look at their profiles because some of these people you know, are just names, but most of these guys we actually know quite a bit about. They're not guys who wrote books in the Bible. Well, yeah, two of them are. But, you know, the others are, are people that just kind of pop up here and there. But when you begin to sort of put it all together, you think, you know, we know these people pretty well too. The first one is Tychicus. Tychicus was one of Paul's best friends. He met him, first of all, in Asia Minor, which to us today is Turkey. And he trusted him to do so much for him. You remember Paul went around all over the world collecting money to take to the poor in the church in Jerusalem? If you study the life of Paul, you know that was one of his primary missions. When it came time to send that money to Jerusalem, guess who one of the guys was he picked out? to trust with that kind of money, which was probably in our currency, thousands, if not millions of dollars. Tychicus was that kind of friend and that trustworthy. He had a friend named, uh, Paul had a friend named Titus that was preaching on the island of Crete, and it was a really tough work, and Titus was getting beat down, and he said, you know, I need to send someone to relieve Titus, and, and who could I send? Ah, I might send Tychicus. And then later on, Timothy was the preacher in the church in Ephesus. And when Paul was writing him, he said, basically, Timothy, I know you need a break. I know this has been hard. I want you to come and see me. So I'm going to send Tychicus. And he will take over your work. He'll be the preacher in the church in Ephesus. 
Tychicus was obviously a trustworthy man. He even was the man that Paul sent with this letter. After he had written the letter to the church in Colossae, after he had written the letter to the church in Laodicea, he handed them to his friend Tychicus and said, I trust you to get these there. And not only that, he sent this guy Onesimus along. We're going to talk about it. I've got a picture of Onesimus coming up here too. You've never seen pictures of these people, have you? Anyway, he, he, he sends him with Onesimus. And Onesimus was a runaway slave. Onesimus was in big trouble. Onesimus was going to have trouble showing his face back in Colossae because he had run away from a guy named Philemon there. And Paul's going to send a letter to Philemon, and he's going to send Onesimus back, and he sends a peacemaker back, and that peacemaker is Tychicus. He calls Tychicus my encourager. Every time Paul gets thrown in prison, guess who shows up? Tychicus. You've got friends like that, don't you? Every time you're in trouble, there's that certain friend that just seems to know to find out and shows up. Tychicus was Paul's encourager. In this book, he says, he's my beloved brother. He's a faithful minister. He is a fellow servant of the Lord. Well, let's look at this guy Onesimus that's getting sent back to Colossae. Onesimus was a slave, belonged to a man named Philemon. And we don't know exactly why, but, but Onesimus ran off. And it sounds like, if you read the little letter that Paul wrote to the owner, Philemon, that's in our Bible, that it sounds like that Onesimus even took some money with him that belonged to Philemon. And so he runs off and he ends up in Rome. Now, there's a couple of different ideas of why Onesimus ended up in Rome. One theory is that he's a runaway slave. He's got some money in his pocket, so he goes, big city bright lights, you know. I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to have a good time. So that's what he does, and he does to the extent that he gets thrown in jail. And there he meets Paul. And Paul then begins to minister to him and to teach him the gospel. And there he becomes a Christian. The other idea is that Onesimus, being in the household of Philemon, that Philemon and Paul know each other, and so therefore he had met Paul before, or had at least seen Paul, and after he had run off, he thought, man, I am in big trouble. How am I going to get out of this trouble? And he thinks, Paul. And so he runs to Paul, and he finds Paul there in prison, and he begs Paul to help him. And Paul agrees to help him, but he also shares with him the gospel. And there Onesimus becomes a Christian. Wow, what a guy, what a friend like Paul. You know, can you imagine having a friend like that that would love you enough that, that he's, he, he sees the cause of this young man and the trouble that he's in? And so he sends him back along with Tychicus, along with a letter written to Philemon saying, now you need to take this guy back. And in fact, he introduces him as the faithful and beloved brother who is now one of you. I don't have time to talk a lot about that, but this guy had been a slave and the, the other people, the free people, had trouble really seeing slaves as equals. And yet Paul said, he's an equal now. And to Philemon, in his little note, he says, you know, he sort of does a play on words here. He says, 
this guy used to be useless to you. Evidently, Philemon, uh, I mean Philemon, Onesimus was not the best of slaves. And, you know, his running away maybe was just sort of the final thing that he did. But he says, this guy used to be useless to you, but now he is Onesimus. Onesimus means useful. So these are the two of the guys that are with Paul, and he's sending them back to Colossae. And according to tradition, or, well, not tradition, but the writings of a man named Ignatius, who wrote about 50 years later after Paul, Onesimus became the bishop in the church at Ephesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it good to have a friend that believes in you even when you've messed up? Paul was that kind of friend. And he found that kind of friend in Onesimus. Aristarchus was one of Paul's most consistent and faithful travel companions. Uh, he's not always mentioned, but he seems to always be there. All through Paul's journeys, he, he's from Thessalonica. Paul probably picked him up when he went through Thessalonica and, and preached to them. Or somewhere along the way, Aristarchus joined him. He was with Paul in Ephesus whenever the riot broke out. And Paul was dragged into the Colosseum. Remember that? And it looked like he was done for. Well, right beside him stood Aristarchus. He was also trusted by Paul to be one of the ones to carry all that money to Jerusalem. And it sounds like he even traveled on that ship that was shipwrecked when Paul made that terrible, hard journey from Caesarea all the way over to Rome. We know at least he was there at the beginning of the journey. We know he's there in Rome with Paul. It sounds like he even made that journey with him. Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. In Philemon, he calls him my fellow worker. Mark. Mark is a great guy. Look at Mark. Mark, uh, is, he's, he's cool. He has a different kind of uh, profile picture there. That's the lion. The winged lion becomes the symbol of Mark. This is the Mark that wrote the second gospel. And Paul gives us a little bit of added information that we didn't have anywhere else when he says, Mark, Barnabas's cousin. That explains a lot, doesn't it? You Bible students out there, you know the story of Paul and Barnabas and Mark, don't you? Remember Mark was the younger man that Barnabas got and recruited with, uh, to go with him and Paul on the first missionary journey? But what happened? Somewhere along the way, Mark got scared. He wanted to go home, see Mama. I don't know what happened, but he left, didn't he? And when it came time for the second missionary journey, and Paul and Barnabas were saying, we need to go out and preach again, and let's go back and visit those towns that we preached in before, Barnabas says, great, I'll go get Mark. And Paul says, no way, I'm not taking him with me. And we have what seems to be very strange, but a, a really bad argument between Barnabas and Paul, and they go their separate ways. And Barnabas takes Mark, and Paul goes out and finds a guy named Silas, doesn't he? And he goes with Paul, and they just go different directions. Isn't it interesting that after all of that, here's Mark again. That says a lot about Paul and Mark, doesn't it? You ever had friends that were good friends, and you did things with, and then all of a sudden you had a big blow-up, and it was over? And it's sad when that just goes that way, and that's the way it is, and you never are in touch again. But Paul and Barnabas were both bigger people than that. I mean, Paul and well, Barnabas was too, but Paul and Mark. This man, Mark, was an amazing young man, by the way. As I said, he, he wrote the second gospel, and he really wrote that along with Peter. So he did some traveling with Peter as well. And it's really more with Peter than Paul that Mark is associated. 
Uh, Mark is also thought to have been uh, the son, well, he's the son of Mary. Mary had a big house in Jerusalem. That's where the church used to meet at times in Jerusalem. It was in Mary's house or Mark's house where the church had gathered to pray for Peter. Remember when Peter was in prison and they were all praying that he might be released? The angel went and got him out. Peter went and knocked on the door and the maid came up in Rhoda and said, who is it? And he said, it's Peter. And she goes, ah, and, and runs off and back. It says, he's out there. He's right there. And they said, well, did you open the door? Uh, no. <laughs> well, go let him in. Well, all of that happened in Mary's house, Mark's house. Tradition has it too that it could have been this very house where Jesus ate his last supper, the Passover, the upper room. So Mark was kind of a rich kid. Maybe that's why it took him a while to grow up. Maybe he had already, already and he was, he's also thought to be the guy, remember the, the young man that's following along and when they're arresting Jesus and they try to grab him and they grab his clothes and he just strips down and runs off. Remember that? That could have been Mark as well. Uh, there are a lot of good things about Mark also had a nickname. Mark's nickname, I have to read this because I never can remember what it is. His nickname was Colobodactylus. Maybe they just call him Colo for short. Colodoloctopus, which means stump finger. Evidently, he had lost a finger somewhere, either congenitally he was born that way or perhaps some way in an accident or something. So his buddies all call him, hey, here comes stump finger. So if you all have any nicknames, it's probably not that bad. So maybe you can get by with that. But Paul and Mark worked through it all. And, and the last we hear about Mark is in 2 Timothy where Mark is in Ephesus working with Timothy. And Paul says, please send Mark to me. I need him. He's useful to me. Isn't that wonderful to go back and to reclaim a friendship like that? Good for Paul and good for Mark. The next guy's name is Jesus. We really don't know much about him. It says his nickname is Justice. Uh, we do know he was one of the Jewish Christians as well. And uh, Paul said, these folks feel like home folks to me. They are comfort to me to have three guys with me that are in my background and understand me. Let's move on to Epaphras or Epaphras, as we sometimes say. He was the first preacher in Colossae. He, he was the one who had gotten so upset. You know, if we've worked through this book, we've seen that a lot of bad stuff's going on in the church in Colossae, that there's a group there trying to make everybody else feel unspiritual, that they're not spiritual enough, they're not, uh, you know, in tune with God enough. And, and so it's, it's Epaphras who had gone to Paul in Rome and said, we got this problem here. These folks are really tearing our church apart. And Paul had written this letter in response to that. And now he's also sending Epaphras back, and he, he sort of puts his stamp of approval on Epaphras. He says, if you want to hear the true gospel, listen to this guy. And he talks about how he's a real prayer warrior. Or Now, that's our terminology. Paul's terminology is he's a real prayer wrestler. Did you hear that as we went by there, that he wrestles in prayer? This is obviously a man that Paul had watched pray. And watched pray so fervently and how much he loved that church in Colossae and the way he prayed for that church in Colossae. And as he and Paul prayed together, he said, this guy doesn't just pray, he wrestles in his prayers. He later calls him a hard worker. Got to look at Luke real quick. Well, we all know about Luke. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. He wrote one-fourth of our New Testament. Uh, Luke was a doctor probably the first medical missionary of the church. He became Paul's personal physician. 
He's around Paul a lot. He never really mentions himself. In fact, he's only mentioned three times very briefly in Scripture, never in Luke or Acts, either one. And yet, he's with Paul a lot because he often talks about in Acts that we are going to do this or we are going to do that. Uh, Luke was uh, thought to be a native of Antioch of Syria. That's why we read a lot about Antioch of Syria in, uh, in the New Testament. And some people even say that Luke and Paul were classmates in the University of Tarsus, that they knew each other then even. We don't know about that. But Luke was a wonderful man. Luke was certainly a great historian, a great writer. And as you see here, a tradition is that he was also an artist, uh, that uh, he was renowned throughout the area for his artwork as well. Demas. Somebody gave me a hard time about Demas having a mullet. Uh, we don't know a lot about Demas, but uh, if, if mullets were in, Demas would have one because Demas was in tune with the fads and the styles of the day. Whenever Paul writes this letter, he says, Demas is here with me. He says hi to you. But the next time we hear about Demas is in 2 Timothy when Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, you know, it broke my heart. Demas is gone. Demas is left. He's in love with the present world. You know, Demas was too caught up into what everything else was going on. And, and it, it broke Paul's heart. Hurts us too, doesn't it, to hear that here's a man that was that close to the apostle Paul and that much in his heart. And yet what was going on out there had such a draw to him that he was gone. He also mentions Nympha, who uh, is a wealthy lady there in Colossae that the church meets in her house. That's about all we know about her. She's obviously a very gracious and a very generous lady. And then Archippus. Archippus is mentioned here. He's also mentioned in Philemon. Uh, He is uh, is a fellow soldier, a fellow worker. And Paul admonishes him. He says, God has given you something to do. Now go and do it. Well, that's Paul's list of friends. Now, why is it that we took 20 minutes to run through that? Just to make this point. As Paul sits there in prison, these are the friends that are on his heart. These are the ones who have come and gathered around him. These are the ones that he's communicating with. These are the ones who give him his strength. Paul knew the value of having not just any kind of friendships, but spiritual friendships. Not just friendships that were based on having common interest with each other and liking to go to the gym and shoot hoops or go shopping or not just those interests, but a spiritual tie. In fact, spiritual friendship is possible because we each share the Holy Spirit. It's possible to have a spiritual friend because whenever you come to Christ, you receive the gift of the Spirit. When other people come to Christ, they receive the gift of the Spirit. And the gift of the Spirit is kind of magnetic. It likes to get back together, you know. It's always seeking out others who carry the Spirit of God within them as well. And it opens up all kinds of doors in order to make those bonds and those friendships. And we've got to have them. We have to have them. To walk the walk of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of Him, to be a child of God, we have to have those spiritual friends who will share the journey with us. We got to have those who will hold us accountable, who will look into our lives and look into our eyes and say, How are you doing? 
And when they see that we're faltering and when we're stumbling, they care enough about us to come along beside us and say, I want to help. And they're also the kind of friends that, that whenever, uh, whenever they start having problems, that you're drawn to them as well and that you can hold them up. And you can be the kind of friend to them that Tychicus and Archippus and Aristarchus were to the Apostle Paul. Friends like this make discipleship a possibility. Real friendships like this give us life. So, the message of today is like the Apostle Paul. Pursue spiritual friendships. You guys going into school now, you're changing classes, and you know how kind of things get kind of shuffled around. And September is a great time to make new friends. Well, as you're running into folks that are kind of like you, and you're in class together, maybe you're on a team together or something, also look for those people who share your faith and share your morals and share your dreams. That just like you, the Holy Spirit lives in them. And they can become, for you, spiritual friends. Look for places to find them. You know, there's an old saying about fishing. You think when you go fishing, you throw your line in and whatever you catch, you catch. But you really do determine what kind of fish you catch by the choice you make about where you go fishing. Don't you? If you want to catch tuna, don't go to Nasworthy. There's not any tuna there, okay? If you want to catch tuna, you're going to have to get out in the gulf somewhere, and you've got to go to the right place in order to catch tuna. If you guys want to find spiritual friends, go to huddles. Come to class. You know, be around these folks that love you and care about you. And, you know, the interesting thing about spiritual friendship is that, that it, you can become close friends with someone that's not really like you very much. You know, most of our casual friends are people who are kind of like us. But spiritual friends may be really different from us, but we're bound by the Spirit of God. And that brings such richness and, and, and just wonderful things into our lives because that's what we hold on to. Now, you college, y'all already made the application, haven't you? So many of y'all are freshmen coming here from different locations. You've left a lot of your friends behind. They've gone off to other schools. Look for spiritual friends. I know you're going to make a lot of other friends, and a lot of them are fine folks and will be great people in your life. But while you're making those friendships, make sure you go to the places where you can make the spiritual friends that will stay with you and help you with your walk and help you with your faith. Of course, the obvious place for that is the Campus Center. That's why one of the main reasons that it's there. We put that thing there so that people would walk in the doors and know that there are people in there that love God too. And you can be bound together by the spirit that you carry in your heart and the spirit they carry in theirs. The, the rest of us, we come here today and, and you know, we, we try to give you time to greet each other. Walk around in the, the foyer. Walk up and down the aisles with, with a, a goal of seeking spiritual friendships. Go to Bible class. Get in a small group. Volunteer in a ministry. And don't just do it to learn the Bible. Don't just do it to serve others. Those are good things to do but seeking a spiritual friend so that your friends list grows and grows and those are people who really love you, understand you, will minister to you and give you a chance to share what God has given you with them.
All of this is possible when we become friends with Jesus. I don't know if you ever made a friend just because you had a friend in common. Uh, I think that's Facebook again, isn't it? You get on Facebook and you have all these people that have friends and all of a sudden you get all these names start coming in. Well, that sort of happens with Jesus. When you become friends with Jesus, he's got a lot of friends. And those friends are going to find you. That's the key step, is to make sure your friendship with him is intact. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, we're going to have some of our leaders standing around. And if your friendship with Jesus hasn't yet really begun, now's the chance to make that a reality. If you've let your friendship get old and cold with Jesus, this would be a wonderful chance to begin to renew that as you seek then other friends of his and they come into your life. Let's stand and sing.